everyone. How are you doing? Good to see you all. I hope your, your winter is going well. Here we are, fast approaching the thick of it. I think we've had the shortest day, haven't we? So that's good news, hey? Yeah, it's all, it all gets better from here. The days get longer. I was thinking to myself earlier, and, and Josh confirmed it for me, it's not so much rugby fans here tonight. Is that right? Can you put your hand up if you're not a rugby fan? Oh, okay. Well, that would imply there's quite a few rugby fans. Uh, <laughs> we were, I was uh, in touch with Simon last night. In fact, I, I received a prophetic word about the rugby at about 6 o'clock last night. This, this, this text came through on my phone, and uh, it took me a, a second to realise what it was referring to. Uh, about quarter past six, so well before kick-off, and... Uh, you know, it, 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 was, it sounded pretty spiritual at the time, and my head was in the spiritual headspace I was thinking about today. And it said this, There's a verse the Lord has laid on my heart. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I wonder what he's trying to say to me. <laughs> and then I realized what he was trying to say to me. And, of course, it wasn't the Lord. It was his messenger, Simon. And, uh, and when I realized, I thought, that is not from the Lord. Uh, that word, and I was going to make all sorts of jokes about how Simon has to work on his prophetic gift, and then of course he doesn't. Isn't that disappointing? Hey, tonight we are continuing our journey through the Gospel of John, and it's an amazing story that we're following, and you could kind of think of this as the original Lions tour that we're talking about. You've heard about the British and Irish Lions, and we're of course following the Lion of Judah which is one of the titles of Jesus. And it's a tour in the sense that earlier on in this gospel, Jesus has been based in Jerusalem, the capital in the south of the country. And he's just traveled now north a little bit. He's been through the land of Samaria. And he's had this amazing encounter with this woman at the well. That's a very famous story you're probably familiar with. And he has had a wonderful ministry at this woman's village. And they've, they've begged him to stay a bit longer. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Two, da- two more days of Jesus. Jesus agrees to stay a couple of days, like a conference with Jesus. Here's your headline speaker, God. Wow, credentials. Just made the universe, made you, know all about your life. Life coach supreme, you know. This guy is going to be a hard act to follow. So he spends two days with them in Samaria, and then he continues on, and he goes further up north again to an area called Galilee. And that's where we pick up the story. So this is in John chapter 4, verse 43. Let's see what it says. After the two days in Samaria, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Now when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged Jesus to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. 
When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea up to Galilee. Now let me give you a sense of place. As I've said, Jesus is in this place called Galilee. It's in the north of the country, as I mentioned. It's where the lake is, yeah? If you've seen the, 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 the maps of, of Israel, it's that big lake up in the north. And this is the part of the country that Jesus was raised in. Nazareth was in Galilee. And this was rugged country. It was really hilly and kind of rocky. So this is the, a good place to, form, you know, to film a, a Toyota Ute commercial. You know, this is the kind of back country you want to show that you know, you're a rugged kind of person. And this is where rugged kind of people lived as well. The Galileans were kind of, you know, salt of the earth type people. They, they talked a little differently to people down south in the capital. They kind of mashed some of their syllables together. I think they kind of feel like Kiwis to me, if I think about the Galileans. This is the kind of place where it wouldn't feel out of place to say, G'day mate, how are you? You know? That's the kind of place Galilee was. And yeah, they talked funny. So you might remember Peter when he was down in Jerusalem, when Jesus was on trial and Peter denied that he knew Jesus at all, people said, no, actually, I think you do know Jesus. Do you know why? Because you're a Galilean, because I can tell by the way you talk. It was kind of rough and it was kind of unrefined. So that's a little bit of a picture of what Galilee was like. And the other thing to know about Galilee is that it was called Galilee of the Gentiles. So Gentile just means a non-Jewish person. And being in the north of Israel, it was sort of where the, the nations kind of ran out. It's the borderlands as well, and where it started to merge into other countries and ethnicities and cultures to the north. So there was this real blend going on there. So Galilee of the Gentiles was this real melting pot. And Jesus goes there, and the people recognize him, and they welcome him. And John tells us why, because a lot of the people there would have been down south. They would have made the trip to Jerusalem to attend the Passover festival. So they had seen Jesus there and they'd heard about him. And it says that they'd seen everything that he had done there as well. So what had he done? We might remember one of the things that he had done at the Passover festival is he went into the temple and he saw that this place that was supposed to be so holy and so special and so sacred for people to gather and to meet with God had been effectively turned into a marketplace. So the temple courts were being used to sell animals for sacrifices and and it was a place where lots of money was being um, uh, changed over. And so Jesus said, how dare you turn this place, it's supposed to be a house of prayer, into this commercial kind of place. And he, he overturns all the stalls and he overturns all the tables and he drives those people out. And so... You can imagine, this is a big deal. This is a big festival. This is a super important place in the culture. And here comes this man, and he just starts tipping over tables and driving these people out. All of a sudden, this guy has got some public profile, hasn't he? You've heard about this guy. And he teaches, and he teaches with authority. And you know what else he does? He performs miracles. John tells us he performed a lot of miracles at this time. And so when he comes back up north to Galilee and say, yeah, I want to I hear about this guy. I want to meet this man, Jesus. I've, seen about, I've heard about him. I've seen a bit of him. 
man, let's see what he's going to do here. And in fact, he goes back to this place called Cana, where he performed his first miracle, which was turning water into wine. So again, the stage seems to be set for a miracle. And it's into this context that this man arrives, this royal official we learn about. And he has a desperate need because John tells us that this royal official had a son and his son was dying. The son's dying. This man is desperate. And he comes to this Jesus, this larger-than-life figure who he knows has been healing people. And he says, Jesus, would you come to my house? My son is dying. Would you come and heal him? And Jesus gives him (coughs) this reply. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. And it feels a bit jarring, doesn't it? This man, he's, his son's dying. How do you think he felt? He's wrecked. He's traveled from another place to, to come and meet Jesus as his hope and say, Jesus, would you come to my home? Would you heal my son? And Jesus says, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you'll never believe. So why does Jesus appear to rebuke him for his request? Well, to understand this, we need to understand a little bit more about the purpose of miracles and the place they have in the way that God reveals himself to us. So, you see, aside from being an expression of the sheer power of God and the compassion of God, miracles play a really important role in confirming or validating the word of God or the message of God. And Jesus tells us about this. We see this in a few other episodes. So, You might remember there's another story where Jesus is ministering in a town, in fact, quite close to where this was happening. It was also in Capernaum. And he's in this house, and there are so many people following him that it's packed. The house is full. You you couldn't get in the doorway. There's more people around the outside. You couldn't get close to Jesus if you wanted to. And yet there are some men who really do want to and need to get to Jesus. And the reason they want to get close to him is because their, their friend is paralyzed. Their friend is paralyzed. He, he's on a mat. He can't walk. But they desperately, they want to bring their friend to Jesus to be healed. And so what they do is they make their way up onto the roof of the house and they dig a hole in the roof of the house and they lower their friend down on his mat right into the presence of Jesus. Can you imagine what a scene that would have been? See the sort of crumbling starting to come from the ceiling as this is all going on. You're like, what the heck is happening? And this man gets lowered down on this mat and his friends are hoping that Jesus is going to heal him. And then Jesus surprises everyone because you know what he says to him? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And it's not what anyone's expecting. Son, your sins are forgiven. And it really upsets one group of people that's there, which is the religious authorities, the the teachers of the law. And the reason it upsets them is because they're thinking, well, Jesus, you can't do that. You, you You can't say to a person, your sins are forgiven? Because only God can do that. How dare you say that? And they're thinking this to themselves, and and maybe they're muttering it away, and, and Jesus is aware of it. He knows it. And he says this, Why are you thinking such things? 
Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But, so that you may know that the Son of Man, he's referring to himself there, has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up, and he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. Can you imagine that? He's been lowered through the ceiling of the house, paralyzed on a mat. Jesus has said, your, your sins are forgiven. And that causes a kafafo. And, and so he says, you know what? Okay, that's a problem for you. Let me prove that I have the authority to do that. And then he says, okay, get up and walk and you can leave. And it says, the people were amazed, every one of them, and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, here's the thing. If you left that amazing event and you went home and you talked to your friends and family who weren't there and you said, guess what? This guy, they dug a hole in the roof and they lowered this man through there and Jesus healed him and he just walked straight out again. If that was your story, you will have missed the point. Because Jesus said, the reason I'm going to heal him is to prove a much bigger point which is that I have authority to forgive sins. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible for us to grasp the magnitude of it? Think about it. A paralyzed person cannot walk, walks out of the room. That's huge, right? That's a big event. And guess what? Jesus is saying, that's not the big event. How big then is the big event? How big then is the pronouncement he really wants us to pay attention to? Your sins can be forgiven by Jesus Christ. Wow. You see, we talk about miracles. Sometimes we use the word signs, right? You hear, you're familiar with that? When we talk about a, a miracle, we talk about a sign from God. And that is a, actually a really great translation of some of the underlying language. It's, it's literally what it means. If you think about a sign in the most basic sense of it, we think about signs. If you think about when you're driving along the road and you see a a road sign, it, it points you in a certain direction, doesn't it? Yeah, it tells you if you want to go to this place, it's over there. The sign is not as important as the destination itself. Yeah, it's useful, it's good, but it's not the main thing. And that's how we need to look at miracles here. You see, they're good, they're great, fantastic, pointing us to God, but they're not the main thing. I want to give you one more example. So after Jesus died on the cross and he rose three days later from the grave, he demonstrated himself to be alive to all of his followers with amazing proofs. He showed, I am definitely physically resurrected, risen from the dead. And because of what I've done, your sins can be forgiven. Every wrong thing you've done has been paid for on the cross. That's just what I've done, and I've conquered sin, and I've conquered the grave. And now I want you to go and tell everyone. And his disciples do go out and tell everyone, and this is how Mark finishes his gospel. After Jesus rose back to heaven, and he'd sent out his, his disciples, the disciples went out, and they preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So the miracles, the signs, are to confirm the message. You see what I'm saying? 
But to confirm the message here, the message is Jesus died for your sins and you can have new life in him. And here's the miracle to prove that that is so. And so now if we come back to Galilee and you come back to this royal official who has approached Jesus saying, Jesus, my son is sick. Will you come home and heal him? It gives us a bit more understanding for the answer Jesus gives. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you'll never believe. You see, the problem that Jesus was encountering is that people had become preoccupied with the signs themselves and not the main thing, not the main message he had come to share. And this was going to become a really deep problem for this part of the country, for people in general. They're going to be preoccupied with these spectacles, if you like, and they were going to miss the point that Jesus had come to bring them back into a relationship with God. They were missing this, and this frustrated Jesus, and that's what you're seeing in his answer there. You know, the beautiful thing is, is that this royal official gives us this picture of what it means for us or how we can approach God when life is tough, when life is hard, and how we can approach Jesus in the right way and and seek miracles from him, if you like. And there's three lessons I want to learn from him tonight. The first one is this. The first one is to persevere. So Jesus has given this answer. Unless you see miraculous signs and wonders, you'll never believe. Now, the interesting thing here is that in the underlying language, when it says, unless you see, the word you is plural. So Jesus is not simply speaking to this man. He's speaking to everybody there. Big crowd, a lot of people. This man has come and asked for his son to be healed, and Jesus said, unless you. And so the the translators of the New International Version translation we're looking at tonight have added the word people to give us the sense of that, unless you people, unless all of you see these things, you'll never believe. And so in that sense, Jesus actually isn't simply speaking to this man, and he's he's not, (coughs) if you like, he's not even rebuking this man personally. But I guess the thing is, is that if you're that guy, that's a tough answer to hear, isn't it? It's the first thing you've heard. You've traveled, your son is on his deathbed, you've come to this healer, and you've heard this statement saying, man, this miracle thing is a problem right now. That could have been really discouraging, right? But what does he do? He asked Jesus again. He says, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus responds to him. And this is the simple message I just want to take. The first lesson I want to take out of this is that we can come to God again and 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 again. And his grace is inexhaustible. And I think sometimes he loves to wrestle with us. He calls us to pursue him. He, he wants us to be people who are not simply pursuing the signs or the wonders or the experiences, but to be people who are pursuing him himself. He says, come after me. Come on. Come on. Isn't that cool? So this man, he persists, he perseveres, and I think it's a wonderful thing. You know, the next thing that happens is that he gets a response. 
So Jesus speaks to him, and it's not quite the response he's expecting. Remember, he's come to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, would you come to my house with me to heal my son? Now, Jesus actually doesn't do that. But he does say, go, your son will live. Now, there's another interesting thing in the language here, because the simpler translation here is not your son will live, it's your son lives. It's your son lives, present tense, right now, this very moment. And with the benefit of hindsight, knowing how the story ends, we can go, oh, well, he was sorted then, wasn't he? But the amazing thing is, is that is this man's response. You think about it. He has traveled. He has left his son at home. And his ideal is for Jesus to come right there with him, to walk right next to him. So he has the situation under control. He's the healer. I've brought him here to my house, to my son. He's going to heal you now. I've seen the healing. Hallelujah. It's not how it happens. Jesus says, go, your son lives. And the remarkable thing that this man does is that he takes Jesus at his word. Isn't that incredible? If you put yourself in his shoes, his son is dying. Think about what was going on in his heart. And I find this very relatable if you think about how relatable would it have been. We all know that when we have difficult times in life or desperate times in life, sometimes we're, we hang on to God, say, God, would you show me right now? Would you do the thing I want you to do right now? And it's almost like we're trying to take control of the situation. And we come to the word of God and we look at the promises of God and that's wonderful. But we don't receive the word. We don't take it into our hearts. And that is the second thing here. That is the second lesson I want us to learn from this man. He takes Jesus at his word. He adopts in his heart a posture of trust. And he says, okay, I believe you, Jesus. I believe you. That's an amazing thing. And you know, the the next thing that he does, (coughs) third lesson, small thing, but it says, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. He left. He walks. He walks away. The word of Jesus is good enough for him. So now what he's done is he has taken that heart attitude and he's turned it into action. His faith now, this man's faith, is living, breathing faith. This, this man is alive. Yeah? I have been preparing to travel overseas next week for work. And uh, I uh, work for a government department. And so this means that I had to get a special visa. I'm going to, to America. So I couldn't just use the standard sort of thing that's quite easy to do online. I had to go through a special process. <laughs> And uh, this was unexpected to me. Uh, I, I got my um, uh, travel arrangements from the person who organises the travel. And at the bottom, note, it said, by the way, for officials travelling to the US, you need such and such a visa. And uh, this takes 10 working days to get, not including the time that it takes to send your passport to Auckland and for them to have send it back. And I calculated the number of days that I had remaining until I fly, and it was nine days. <laughs> I was unhappy. <laughs> And then I got sick. Then I 
I, my health went downhill, and I just thought, oh, man, what is going on, Lord? And you try naturally, don't you, when things don't, aren't going your way in life, you want to control them. You want to take hold of them. And I'm praying, God, look, I need the visa. I'm asking the staff to pray, Lord, we need this visa. Look, that's a good response. But I initially, it's so tempting to just hold on to your anxieties there, isn't it? And to not actually receive the promises of God and to stay in that place of turmoil. You see, what God is calling us to do is to trust him and to say, I've got your best interests at heart. Do you trust me? Do you trust the word that I've given you right now? Will you listen to me? Will you come to me? Will you stop taking your cue from your circumstances and take it from me? Will you take me at my word? And you know what? When I did, when I said, you know what? Okay, God, whatever. Whatever happens, it's okay. Whatever happens is okay. What a relief. What liberty. What freedom. Knowing that I would love all these things to happen. But wow, what if I just get on board with your plan? How good is that? Man, that is freedom, I've got to tell you. So good. Will you walk in the word today? You know, the cool thing when Jesus said, your son lives. There's another neat spiritual principle under that is that, you know, the word of God, his Bible, is living and active and that it changes our hearts when we receive it. And so in that instant, in this, on this occasion, this man was receiving healing in his family right there and right then. But, you know, there's also a neat thing that when we enter into the word of God, that he feeds our spirits in that moment and he sustains us and he restores us. This is why we have to come together into his word. You know, when Moses was giving the word of God to Israel, he said, these words, these are life for you. And in a couple of chapters' time in this Gospel of John, we're going to say, hear Jesus saying, my words are spirit and they are life. Man, this is where you want to be. This is the more important thing. Miracles are wonderful, but right here, the Word of God, this is next level, okay? This is where you want to be. Miracles great, but they're pointing us somewhere else. This is where we want to be, dwelling on the words of Jesus. Now, what I do want to be clear about as well, though, is that God does, right now, today, perform miracles. Physical miracle, miracles. <laughs> Physical miracles. <laughs> um, here's a story. A couple of weeks ago, Connor Nelson, he's here in the, in the front row, Connor had a sporting accident. And uh, uh, he can tell you more about it later on, I'm sure. But uh, he suffered a neck injury, and he was taken to hospital. And on the day that Connor went to hospital, three different doctors said that his x-rays showed evidence of a bone injury. It's pretty conclusive, yeah? Three doctors, bone injury. And just over a week ago, uh, Julia's mum took Connor to the fracture clinic for his follow-up appointment, and they were told that there is no sign of bone damage. No sign of bone damage. So now Connor is uh, cleared to start playing sport again in a week or two. Awesome. How good is that? Is that good? 
Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what happened in between the appointments? Prayer. Power of God. People seeking God for his word. People taking God's word. People trusting God's word. And watching God reveal himself. That's an amazing thing. You know, I want to be honest about this fact as well, is that we've all had times in life when things are tough and we have prayed for miracles. We've prayed for breakthroughs in all sorts of situations. Might be physically, might be in relationships, might be something in your family, who knows what, just some desperate need. And we've all had times when God has actually said, I'm not going to provide the miracle. And where he and his sovereignty and his goodness has said, actually, it's important for you to walk through this. It's an important, important for you to go through this hard stuff. And it's in that moment, those moments that God wants us to realize something really special is that in the midst of that pain, we actually have the privilege of being the church, of being the hands and feet of Jesus to one another. That is his purpose in that moment. I was on a a plane on Wednesday traveling up to Auckland and uh, I'd actually started to get a bit better and I was starting to feel pretty good and I walked down the aisle and I take my seat there. I had the middle seat, you know, three seats. Guys there's got the aisle, guy there's got the window, it's me in the middle and uh, I'm sitting there and then I just hear this really loud <laughs> sniffle from the man in the seat next to me. And there I am boxed in, <laughs> thinking I'm just starting to get better. And I just kind of sort of lean left a bit. <laughs> the, this ear hostess comes by and I'm putting my little glass of water on the left side of the tray <laughs> to stay as far from this man as I can. And he's got his headphones on. He's kind of hunkered in the corner a bit and he's breathing heavily and you can hear him sniffing. And I thought, Lord, just don't let me get sick. Lord, don't get me, let me get sick. Please don't let me get sick. I'm just getting over this, you know. And uh, I soon realized, I thought, I had my backpack at my feet under the seat in front of me. And I knew, having been a bit sick, I was practically a walking pharmacy. So on the top of my backpack, I had strepsils, I had vapor drops. I was ready for me. And I thought, what would Jesus do here? This guy is sniffing like crazy and he's sick and he's probably got nothing for it. didn't seem like he had. And I got over myself and I thought, Jesus would get sick for this guy. And I got his attention and I said, hey, I hear you've got a cold. Can I give you some stuff? And I gave him some stuff and he was, he was very grateful. You know, the point is, is that God doesn't intend us to do life alone. He wants us to love each other. He wants us to care for each other. And this is to be a hallmark of us as a church, that when we see sickness and when we see hardship and when we see pain, we don't think about ourselves. We think about each other. And that this is us, guys. We're the church. Church is not a building. It's not a place. It's not a day of the week. It's us. It's you and you and you and everyone, the person sitting next to you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have entered into his, his community, the church, his gathering. 
That's what the church means. It's a gathering. It's an assembly. It's the body of followers. And the hallmark of the body is to be our love for one another. And so that's what we're to do when the miracles don't come. Because God says, you know what? I know this is really painful, but actually I want to make a precious investment in you and in my church. And I want to bind you together with something you just couldn't imagine. Will we be the church to each other, guys? This royal official has given us these wonderful keys to do it by. What do we do? First, we come together and we approach Jesus. And we persist in prayer. We join alongside each other and we put our arms around each other and we say, we're going to pray for that situation you're in. We're going to pray again and again and again, and it's okay. And if we don't see an answer, that's okay. We were just going to keep on praying. And then we gather around his word and we listen to it and we dare to take Jesus at his word. As much as we would love to see the miracle come through, we will dare to say, Jesus, you are Lord. You are sovereign. Your will be done. And to put it in his hands. And then thirdly, we will dare to walk together through the trough, through the valley, through the hardship. And we will join each other in the hospital. And we will join each other at the doctors. And we will meet together in our life groups, in our homes. And we will meet together here in places like this so that we can minister to each other because that is what we're all about. Yeah? Isn't that awesome? What a privilege to be part of this. You know, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, and I'm actually going to give us an opportunity that if, if you are sick or if you're struggling with something, if there is a battle physical or a battle, uh, a, a battle spiritual, whatever is going on in your life, if something's broken, you need healing, I'm going to invite you to come up here, and we're going to pray for each other. But I just want to finish on the very point of this story. <clears throat> why Jesus, uh, why John tells it rather. Because John could have shared a whole lot of miracles from the ministry of Jesus, but he just chose a few. He chose a few for a specific purpose. He says this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Isn't that cool? The signs are to point us to something much greater. They're wonderful events. They're amazing things to think about, to hear about, to desire. But the main thing is that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is what he's drawing us to. That is John's point through all of this. That is why he shared the story of this official who came to Jesus and had his son healed. I want, he's saying, everyone, I want you to learn Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what you need to know. And you know, the Bible says that we are all like that man's son. We are all, we all have the sickness called sin. And that sickness called sin is simply our, our nature which, out of which we do bad things. We live for ourselves. We do wrong things. And that has separated us from God, that sickness. But God and his love sent his one and only son, the great physician, to take all of his sicknesses and all of our infirmities and all of our sorrows and all of the wrong things that we have done on himself. And he died on a cross. He said, I will take it all, every last scrap of infirmity and every wrong thing you've ever done. <clears throat> 
I will take on myself. And he bore God's judgment against sin in his own body. And three days later, he rose from the dead, having conquered it all. So that one day there will never be any more sorrow, no more sickness, no more crying, no more pain, and no more sin, and no more guilt. And you can have the promise of that new life right here today. Do you know that? Man, if that's something you want to talk about, we would love to explain that more to you because I'm sure you have questions about that. That is the promise and that is the meaning of all of this tonight. But I want to bring us back to the heart of the story we've been looking at. Are you sick? I figure if I just wait long enough, I'll hear someone cough. (laughs) It's that time of year, right? You're coughing and you're spluttering and so many people are off work at the moment. If you're sick, I want to invite you to come up here to pray for, to heal, to be healed. If you are struggling with something, as I said, in life, it might not be physical sickness. Or it might be more than a cough or a sniffle. It might be something really, really serious. It might be pains you have in your body. It might be, it might be a terminal illness. I'm going to invite you to come forward for, for prayer. But it might be something spiritual. It might be something you're battling with. You're battling with anxiety tonight. Is that you? Do you want to come here and leave it with Jesus? <laughs> I know there's some people out here who need to respond. Hey, let's stand. Let's stand. If that's you and any of all of that kind of stuff, can I invite you to come up right now? Just come up. Come up right now. And if you can see somebody coming up who is a friend of yours or is in your life group, why don't you come up and pray with them? Why don't we just stand shoulder to shoulder for a moment and say, Jesus, we want to invite you into these situations to heal, to heal us. Yeah? If if that's you... Don't be shy. Just come right on up. Come on up now, guys. And we're going to be the church for each other. Yeah? Okay, let's just bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's coming forward here tonight, Lord, and Lord, I thank you that we can bring every challenge we have to you, every infirmity that we have, every battle that we have, that there is nothing too small for you, nor too big. I just thank you, Lord, for that, that this is the very reason you came, to be in a relationship with us, that there is no one untouchable to you, but, Lord, that you desire a relationship with all of us. And so, Father, we thank you for the word we've received from you tonight. And, uh, guys, as you pray for each other, may the Lord bless you as you feel led. And I'm going to stop praying in a second, but you, I just want to invite you to stay here with your, with your friends and those who have gathered around you to pray and just take a moment to pray. But Father, right now, as we do this, we commit all of our ways 
into your precious name, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Amen.